0: He's got connections, from actors and athletes to comedians and world-class musicians. Andy Hall. His contact list is jam-packed with some of the most recognizable names in entertainment. Andy Hall's giving Laser Hellraisers his plus one. An exclusive conversation you won't hear anywhere else on today's edition of Hall Access. I am proud to welcome guitar god Kenny Wayne Shepard to the Laser Hotline. Hey, Andy. Hey, Kenny. Great to have you on the show again. Thanks for your time today, man.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Celebrating the 25th anniversary of Trouble Is by the Kenny Wayne Shepherd Band. We're looking forward to next Wednesday night when we get to see it live here at Hoyt Sherman Place, Kenny. going to be great.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too. You know, the the Trouble Is album was a monumental record for us. I mean, it still is. um, You know, I've been doing a lot of interviews about it, and the general consensus is from people that are talking to me about it is that, you know, this record could be put out today and be just as relevant today uh, as it was 25 years ago when it came out. We accomplished so much. We you know sold millions of copies of the record. We had, you know, the longest number one song uh in the history of the rock charts at the time. Um, you know, and it's been really cool because we're playing the whole album in, in live in concert for the very first time. We never played the whole record, uh, in a show before. So getting reacquainted with some of these songs and performing them and this big trip down memory lane and so many people discovered my band and my music through this record. You know, for the first time back then, so it's just been a lot of fun. You
0: know, 1997 is a year I remember very well in terms of what was going on musically. I was in high school at the time, and what a crazy, eclectic mix of sounds coming from rock bands, specifically. New metal was bursting onto the scene. We saw a resurgence of ska and punk around that time. For a blues guitarist to emerge in that era really took something special, I think. How do you see it?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, that was, it was a really cool time. It's kind of, you know... It, embarking, uh, you know, on the end of an era of a very special time in in the music industry when, you know, bands like mine could get a lot of mainstream airplay, you know, and we kind of broke through um, starting off as a blues band, but really broke through to the other side and reached, you know, a, a much larger audience. But we've always kind of done a hybrid of rock and blues, you know, which has been the core of my sound. Blues is the foundation, but we've always been a band that likes to rock, and, and I think that's, you know, what attracts, you know, additional listeners beyond just the blues fan base.
0: That album was your second, but the first to be released as Kenny Wayne Shepherd Band, as opposed to the just the name, which is how Ledbetter Heights was released. Was this the first true ensemble cast, and that was why the name changed at the time?
1: Well, you know, we've done it both ways a couple of times over the years, like switched it up, but really it's like the reason why we did it was to you know, let everybody feel inclusive, um, you know, as part of the, the the band, like acknowledge that it's not just me. And at the time I wasn't singing lead vocals in the band. It was, you know, I mean, obviously it's my band. It's kind of like, you know, Carlos Santana or Eddie Van Halen or whatever. It's all about Jeff Beck. It's all about the guitar player, but I did have a lead vocalist because I always wrote songs with lyrics and things like that. So, but it was to, to let everybody feel included in the band as well. um, but you know, I, I've actually found that's been challenging over the years because now, like in I, things like iTunes, iTunes didn't exist back then, but sometimes in order to see my entire music catalog, you have to search for both Kenny Wayne Shepherd and the Ken, or, and Kenny Wayne Shepherd band in order to find all the records on iTunes, which we never saw that coming.
0: <laughs> no, you couldn't have, but boy, what an interesting uh, wrinkle there:
1: <laughs> Yeah, I know, because like you know some, I think most people search Kenny Wayne Shepherd and don't think to put the bands at the end of it. And if, and if you do that, sometimes it will only pull up a handful of my records instead of the entire catalog. So in retrospect, you know, we probably should have stuck with one or the other, but who knew?
0: You know, it's funny. I never thought to ask you this. I'm kicking myself, but here's an opportunity. So here we go. Early on in your career, you always felt the need to bring on a singer to sing your songs. Why is that?
1: Well, when I was a kid, I mean, look, I signed my record deal when I was 16 years old. I did my first album when I was 17. At that time, uh, if I opened my mouth and sang, I sounded like a kid. My guitar playing sounded beyond my years, right? right. And mm-hmm. that's everybody made a big deal about that. But when I sang, I sounded like a kid. And I had certain standards for my music, and my voice just wasn't able to live up to those standards at that point. And I didn't have a problem finding somebody else to do the job. Um, uh, because, you know, I had a vision for my music, I had a vision for my career, I had an opportunity and I wanted to make the most of it. And I do believe if I would have been singing back then, I probably wouldn't have had the success that I had at the time. Um, you know, but as I got older and as I matured as an artist and, and uh got more comfortable with it, you know, back in two thousand four I started singing lead vocals in the band and, you know, been doing it ever since and now Noah, you know, who sang lead vocals on the second and third album um and sang you know lead vocals on blue on black and a lot of the hit songs we had we share the lead vocal responsibilities in the band now so he does like 50 percent of the lead vocals and i do the other half you know
0: yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I just never thought to ask it before, especially in terms of that era and the age at which you were. This question might come off as odd to you. I, I have a ton of respect for you as a guitar player. But do you think your playing would have taken a hit at all if you were also singing?
1: Well, there was uh, that was another challenge. There was I was writing songs with parts that I could not sing and play at the same time right. as well. Like, there's some people that are really, like, I'm, I'm kind of wowed by it. when I see a player that can play all this complicated stuff on guitar while also singing a, a vocal melody independently, at the, you know, at the same time. Like, that's amazing to me. And I'm just not one of those guys. I can do certain parts um while i 'm singing, but I, it can 't be like overly complicated stuff, so that was another thing it 's like I was writing all these parts that if I sat down and tried to sing the lyric i wasn 't able to do it either at the same time. so I think I would have had to reassess the songs and and you know adjust my playing you know to enable me.
0: Jimi Hendrix comes to mind. That's an easy one. But another one that I think of when I think of guys that can sing and play at the same time is uh, the late Terry Kath of the band Chicago and how he could not only just play rhythm, and uh, he also played lead at the same time and sung a melody. And I just found that always fascinating.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a woman, I can't remember her name. Um, I just saw a poster of her the other day, but... My wife actually turned me on to her music years ago and I pulled up a video of her on YouTube and she's playing all this amazing stuff, like incredibly complicated guitar stuff while she's singing, uh, you know, a completely different melody. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, it's just incredible. when People can do that.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's who you're talking about. I just saw Samantha Fish recently. She's fantastic in that respect.
1: No, she, she, no, she's really great. I think, uh, if I'm not wrong, I think it's this woman named Annie DeFranco. Oh, I, I could be wrong.
0: Okay, no, yeah. I know that name for sure definitely yeah very cool so blue on black if memory serves that was the third single from the album wasn't it
1: i want to say you might be right um i cannot no i think it was first the first single was slow ride i think then we came with blue on black and maybe after that was everything is broken which was the bob dylan cover uh but i could be wrong about that too all i know is you know i know slow ride was first and i know that one shot up you know, the Rock Shards really fast and gave had a pretty good run there, too. But then whenever Blue on Black came out, it really just defied all expectations.
0: Yeah, that was a rocket ship, man, no question. How big a surprise was that to you and your band at the time? Was there any expectations where that's concerned going in?
1: Well, I've never had any expectations from even from day one because you just never know how the, the public's going to react. But we did feel when we recorded that song and when we mixed the record and we were listening back to it, we all felt we had something special, but you just never know what's going to happen with it and, and what it might do. Um, and so we were all very pleasantly surprised to say the least.
0: Kenny Wayne Shepherd is my special guest today. 25th anniversary tour commemorating Trouble Is rolls into Hoyt Sherman Place next Wednesday night. And you're playing the album in its entirety, which is a concept I've always found fascinating. Since tour cycles, typically, you'll get maybe two, maybe three songs from a new record at the most in a live show. Here, we'll get to see all the songs, including the ones you might never have intended to be a part of a set list. Are there... Any you've never played prior to this tour?
1: Um, I think that at some time or another we've played all the songs here and there, but, you know, what you do is you kind of, once you go out and you start touring, you try out, you know, the songs, and then you kind of hone in on the ones that you feel uh, translate the best and, and work best for the band and stuff like that, but we've worked all these up really, you know, really well. We're kind of playing the album backwards, like from the last song to the first song. Um, And then we, and then we, you know, we come off stage and then we'll come back essentially for an encore. And then we play, uh, you know, a handful or more of more recent songs, you know, because we figure some people might be coming to this show that, you know, got turned on to my band back in the 90s for the Trouble Is record. And then maybe they haven't had an opportunity to come see us again since. And so we we come back out, we play some more recent material to let them know, you know, this is what we've been recording and playing since the Trouble Is record.
0: I'm a vinyl guy, and I still listen to albums as they were intended to be consumed, I think. To start with side A and listen through, are there performances like this that you'd pay good money to see? Anyone in the history of music, time is no object, living or not?
1: Oh, man. I mean, yeah, of course. There's, like, tons of... I mean, the history of music has has brought us some incredible artists. So, yes. I mean, there's plenty. Of course, I think it would have been incredible to witness Jimi Hendrix in person, you know? I had the pleasure to see Stevie Ray Vaughan several times, I mean, that was always I would pay anything to go see him play again today, you know Um, but the list goes on and on I mean, there's so many incredible artists um, and to see, you know to have the opportunity to see some of them play you know, some of their most well-known music or an entire album in a show would be, uh, you know, incredible
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Hendrix, because every time I pop in Electric Ladyland, I think to myself, could he actually recreate this on a stage, like now, you know, with technology what it is? It's just, ai don't know, it's something fun to think about.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, what's more impressive to me, actually, is that he did it back then, because... Because, you know, they had such limited technology back then. Everything was new, and they were trying all these tricks that now you can just, like, open up a program in a computer and press a button, and it'll do it for you, yeah. you know?
0: yep. There were three covers included on the album, four if you include Voodoo Child, which was originally only available as a Japanese import. What was it about those songs that you felt made them a good fit for Trouble Is?
1: Well, every time I cover... Uh, a song It's, you know, first and foremost, it's by an artist who has influenced me and I obviously respect. But then it also has to be, I generally try and find songs that are like the, the lesser covered songs, you know, instead of the one that everybody just goes straight to and there's a million versions of them out there. And so um, we look for a little more obscure, deeper catalog tracks, you know, and then obviously it needs to be a song that, that we feel we can do a good job. Uh, with it. And so the ones, the two that made the record, um, is, you know, the Dylan song, Everything is Broken, and and then we did a Hendrix song, uh, I Don't Live Today. Yeah. And those two made the record. We did some other ones for the record, but they didn't actually go on the record. And then that Voodoo Child was a special edition. It came out for the Japanese version, and I think it, when we put out the Blue on Black single, it was a B-side for the Blue on Black single, if you ever got a copy of that.
0: Boy, if I had a copy of that, Kenny, I'd probably have it framed somewhere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> probably pretty rare.
0: I imagine so. Real quick, what was it like making the album with the new band members, a new singer? Was there immediate chemistry there, or did that take some doing from your memory?
1: Well, I mean, look, it was uh, it was we were thrust into a, a a unique situation, having to we were getting ready to go record the record, and then found ourselves having to look for a new lead singer. And in a matter of two weeks, we found Noah, and we headed into the studio. I mean, I had already written all the material and stuff like that. So for him, he just had to figure out a way to work into the existing organization. Um, but yeah, he and I hit it off from the get go. And so there was the, the musical chemistry was there. We got along, you know, on a personal level really well. And then, you know, we brought in the guys from Stevie Ray Vaughan's band, uh, double trouble. So we had Chris Layton, Tommy Shannon, and Reese Wynans in the studio making this record with us and, uh, so, you know, top tier musicians. We had Jerry Harrison from the Talking Heads producing it. Wow. Um, and we were at the record plant in Sausalito, California, which is, you know, a historic studio. So, I mean, we had everything going for us. It was just up to us to, to get in there and perform.
0: Sounds like a dream come true to me.
1: Yeah, it was a pretty remarkable experience, to say the least. And especially if you consider that I was like 18 years old at the time. I mean, <laughs> You know, for a teenager, it's, it's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, I think of what the stupid crap I was doing at 18, Kenny, and I uh, I can't compare. I can't compare. <laughs> Let's say thank God I got to the space I'm in now where I'm happy and been playing great music. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, man.
1: Yep,
0: absolutely. <laughs> Looking forward to Wednesday, my man. Playing Trouble Is in its entirety to commemorate 25 years of an incredible album from the Kenny Wayne Shepherd Band. Kenny, I can't thank you enough for the time, man. It's always great to have you. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me, man. I hope to see you at the show.
0: That sounds great. Looking forward to it.
1: Thanks, brother.